Welcome back. This is me, myself, and I, an official Confession Stand podcast. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Hannah Slash Spuds. And I'm Sam Slack. And I'm Sarah Carbs. You're supposed to say you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I do it one time and now it's expected of me. <laughs> it's so weird when you don't say it now because when okay. I edit an episode, oh. I hear you say it on repeat over and over and over again. <laughs> Fine. I'll do it. I'll just do it. I'll do it consistently. So <laughs> this is Sarah Carbs. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Sam, Sam Swags. <laughs> Sam Swags, what are we going to be talking about today? We are on our second part of A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Mass. We will be reading chapters 13 to 24, and that is the end of the first part of this book. What were your official first right off the bat thoughts of this section? The inner circle is really pushing my buttons. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird seeing them from a different point of view and being kind of the third wheel of their group love orgy that's going on and seeing yeah. how toxic mm-hmm. it is. It feels very mean girls now. I sometimes wonder if Amran got in this huge fight with uh, Nesta to be the mean one in the group, because there can only be one in this inner circle. Because <laughs> 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 we're talking about the last section we read, correct? Yes. Yeah, I guess I'm yeah. pumping it in, but we haven't yeah. gotten into too much of it. But just in general, I think it's just that lingering, even though we'll get into more specifics in the third episode of this book it's just that lingering feeling it's almost like an ick when you think of anyone outside of nessa and cassian right now i agree right it's strange how drastically it changed once i started seeing it from a different perspective cassian's really going to bat for her and it's very much like oh she's really nice when you're not around Because, like, Rhysand will come visit her Azrael, and he's like, she really is making progress. <laughs> you just, just not at this moment. <laughs> She's great. She's great. <laughs> you know what it is? I think Sarah J. Mass is, as much as I give her crap about her writing, she does a really good job of when you're reading something from someone's point of view, you truly kind of feel how they feel. When right. you are reading from Nessa's, you really do feel like an outcast and you kind of harbor that resentment towards the inner circle. And then you see Cassian trying to play the median or uh, what would you call him? The mediator? The go-between, I guess. Or, but, he uh, kind of is, but I would argue that he's almost not because I think it was in this section, these in these chapters where Ness is like, oh, an oh-so-perfect reset. And Cassian's like, I told you to watch what you say about him in front of me. So, I mean, Cassian is still loyal to Reesand at the end of the day. Nesta's still number two. It's funny how butthurt they get when Nesta says something, as if Nesta doesn't say something about everything under the sun. Yeah. I feel like they're very sensitive to people talking about resand. I think it's really interesting because it's weird to us. We don't put him on the pedestal that I think Cassian and Asriel put resand on. Whereas Nessa's seeing him as her brother-in-law or just mean, controlling brother-in-law. And she's just taking him down to her level. Whereas there is this sort of, I don't want to say it's a complicated relationship, but resand isn't 
just their, you know, quote unquote brother, there's also a power play there. Oh, I was just going to say, I also think that Nesta only knows Rhysand in the now. Yeah. And they don't have, she doesn't know all of Rhysand's past and his traumas and all of his stuff. She knows a little bit of it, but she also doesn't have that 500 year history that would make someone protective of you the way Cassian and Asriel are. Because I mean, we all make mistakes. We all do things that we regret, but at the end of the day, we see the good over the bad and Nessus is not there yet and I mean she doesn't yeah, have I guess to be. I see that I can see that I mean he is essentially a king isn't it kind of an underlying rule just in any type of power dynamic when it comes to someone who's a king or a president that they're commander of the army and they're shadow singer and they're kind of I don't want to say employees because that seems constituents isn't it treason also to speak poorly of the person that you're representing or that represents you yeah i guess we don't really know what the laws are around this country or or court per se so we don't really know what the freedom of speech levels are there so it's it's hard to really say if if what they're doing is what Sam said, is this more of knowing the history and being protective because that's just what brothers slash family does? Or is this a more of a political reason? I think it's both. It it could be both. Could be one or the other. Like that's, it's sort of undefined. You know what I don't like about it? I don't like that in their relationship. I feel like they put Resand on a pedestal because they feel like they owe him. And that just seems like such a strange friendship to me that I feel indebted to you forever because of what you've done for me. You mean with like the Amarantha stuff? Yeah. Even the stuff before in the Illyrian war camps and how they all kind of banded together and were at Reese's house in the cabin. And it's complicated too because with the Amarantha thing, like they're also kind of pissed at him for doing it too because it was, I don't want to say it was selfish, but you know, he did his whole hero complex thing. I want to sacrifice myself and close off this land and protect everybody and you know and i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna fall on the sword and they lost their best friend for 50 years because of this and he didn't tell them he was doing it he didn't try to even plan a different strategy to approach this he's like this is the best way to do it i'm gonna do it this way this reminds me of every male stubborn lead and like lord of the rings frodo harry potter and harry potter and then sam's running after and ron's like you don't have to do this alone and sam's going to frodo and he's like wait frodo i'm coming with you yeah resand is the frodo or the harry potter or the whatever the male lead is in all of these heroic movies where the guy has to do everything on his own because god forbid you utilize more people even though that would be smarter because if you go down it's only you right it's so dumb the fact that he wouldn't turn to his friends in this time of need, he just decided I'm going to kill Amarantha and he gets trapped there. So he has to protect everybody. I hate to say it. It's such a dude way of thinking. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess so. If I were going mm-hmm. into battle, I would get with you guys and be like, hey, if shit goes south, this is what I'm doing. And this is what I want you to do if something bad happens to me. Just mm-hmm. so you know. Women think plan. Yeah. yeah, because we're women and we're smart. <laughs> There's always a plan B and C and D. And we don't just like go balls to the wall solo dolo. We just don't do that because that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) 
Sorry. All right, rant over. I'm just saying it would be different if it were a woman. It always is. When you said about Sarah J. Mass's writing, Hannah, I had a moment reading these chapters where, I, you know, as much as we were a fan of Akawar and maybe Akatar isn't my favorite of her series. My gosh, her writing, though, it feels like coming home. I know mm-hmm. what I'm going to get reading her stuff that I can't, it's consistent, yeah. I guess, you know in what? a way that um, so many authors are not. I totally agree. And actually, so Justin and I, shout out to Justin, if you're listening right now, we love you. So he was the one who actually got me into the Sarah J. Mass universe in the first place. The first book I read was Crescent City Book One. And this was before book two came out. I mean, it had to have been two or three years ago now. And I remember I had such a heavy book hangover after reading Crescent City book one that he was the one who got me interested in Throne of Glass because Mm -hmm. he said, if you're needing to read something that's familiar and something just as exciting but a different storyline, you should go ahead and read her other series because although it's different in a million ways, the way that she writes really is kind of, you were saying, kind of coming home. Yeah. But we were talking about that. And like, I think that's why I barreled through Throne of Glass up until the Kale book. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it really is. You can differentiate her writing from any other author. I agree. I just finished A Touch of Darkness series, the main series. And I was telling Sam, it's just, it's just so just reading different authors. It, there, it's not like one is worse than the other, but there is just something about Sarah. J Mass where you read it and there's not a lot of things that can compare to it when you go into like just living through this experience through Nesta and Cassian and it's just completely unique on its own. So where we left off in the previous section is when Cassian and Nesta kind of have that little heart to heart where Cassian, he finally kind of has an epiphany after talking to Feyre and he starts training Nesta at the House of Wind at the training facility there instead of Windhaven where all of the creepy men were always watching and heckling and stuff. And she actually starts to train and she gives it a try and they eventually have a heart to heart where Cassian apologizes for saying that everybody hated her and she ended up saying that for the record she's never hated Cassian and then we end and then we're moving on I I don't know what it is about them but they are just so interesting to watch their dynamic they both put up this facade that we as the reader know is BS And I think that's what makes them really interesting to watch is that Mm -hmm. they do something, they interact, they say, kiss, whatever in front of each other. And then when you get into their internal monologues where they're like overthinking it, overplaying it. I was thinking about it the other day and I realized why I love Nesta and Cassian so much. One of my favorite movies growing up was 10 Things I Hate About You. It's that (sighs) modern interpretation of Taming of the Shrew. And that is exactly what Nesta is in the whole Cassian story. It is Taming of the Shrew. I saw a TikTok (laughs) that that said, um, you can't tell me that 10 Things I Hate About You didn't inspire Cassian and Nesta and it kind of goes through some of the oh really yeah like what some of the more fun scenes with the two of them and he's such a Cassian too in the movie no it's perfect yes because he's so like witty and is just a charmer but is just such a doofus at the same time oh oh my gosh I love that movie the scene of her dancing on the table, him dragging her down, and them sparring <laughs> at each other. That was Vanessa Cassie, and I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, and yes. then they finally have a heart-to-heart on the swing set, and she vomits yes. on his shoes. 
I love that movie. <laughs> if that isn't Nest and Cassian, I don't know what is. I know. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, how do you say that? Because Sarah and I were literally just sending each other those memes. <laughs> yeah. Oh Good couple. Right, so Good do one of you guys want to take us off where we started off on chapter 13? So we're starting off on chapter 13. We're back in the library underneath the House of Wind. And Ness is doing her job putting away books because that's her other half of her the deal she struck with Feyre that she's training in the morning with Cassian and then she works in the library in the evenings with Clotho and the priestesses. And Gwen, who we met in the last section, she's one of the priestesses there and she's frantically looking for a book because she is Merrill's, which what kind of fey name is Merrill? But whatever. honestly, I thought that was the most fey name. Really? <laughs> yeah, just it sounds like an old timey folklore name. Like who names their yeah. kid Merrill anymore? I keep thinking like an old lady principal <laughs> <laughs> from the 1970s or something. Like <laughs> Anywho, so Meryl is one of the acolytes or philosophers or one of the more head higher up priestesses that are doing, they're writing books or they're doing these huge sort of research projects and they're getting these histories together. They're almost like going through and recategorizing all of history and rewriting it to where it makes sense or upkeeping it. It's almost like they're catalog stuff. It's very much like monks and how they would copy different texts or or translate text, it. Translate or merge text together. Like, like what do they call it? Condense it. Condensing. Thank you. It's funny you guys say that because my first thought was I totally was getting Gwen was like an underpaid grad student TA research <laughs> assistant and Meryl's a pretty <laughs> <laughs> Running around. I mean, it does scream that 100%. It definitely does. No, I totally got that vibe from it. But I guess I was talking about the priestess's work in general, what Meryl I mean, that, is. That makes more but sense, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Meryl's not very nice, and Gwen has to find this book, um, or Meryl's going to ream her for it. Nessa decides to combine at her best friend, the house, <laughs> and she asks the house for the book. And the house drops it right in front of her. So Nesta carefully sneaks into Meryl's office. Well, not sneaks into, but she goes in there. And she acts dumb, and she switches the books. Because Gwen put copy the eighth volume, and it was supposed to be the seventh volume, I think. Mm -hmm. And then she switches them out while she's in there. Look and, at Nesta uh, doing something nice for somebody. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very un-Nesta of her. Well, actually, I would argue that it's very Nesta, because I think to Nesta's core, she's always a big sister. And that is a big sister thing to do. And, as long as that um, sister is Elaine. Well, I feel like Gwen gives me. I feel like Gwen gives me some Elaine vibes. Yeah, good sister to Elaine, not Vera. I agree. Yeah, well, yeah, not to Vera. If it were Vera, she'd let her rot. Like, she, honestly, she'd probably tell Meryl, "Hey, Meryl, just so you know, Vera totally fucked up your books. Redo with her as you wish." <laughs> I hope that one day we finally get into 
a little bit. I know what they wrote in about why Nesta and Feyre didn't get along, but I'd be so interested to know. I wish they did a prequel where they talked about their actual relationship. I just feel like their mother sort of pitted them against each other. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily that the sisters didn't like each other. It's just the mother had very the the mother had sort of had decided what their yeah. yeah like she had already had in her mind Elaine's the hot one she's gonna get us an advantageous marriage Feyre ugh <laughs> you're gonna like you're gonna be a conqueror or, or something her mother just didn't really care much for Feyre and because Nesta and their mother were so close I think that that projected onto Nesta. So I don't think it's necessarily Nesta's fault that she doesn't like Pharaoh. I, I think she was conditioned not to like her. And Pharaoh is so much younger too that I don't think her mother had a plan for Pharaoh per se. Yeah. Because she was so little. She had a very clear vision because Nesta was the oldest. Elaine ended up being so just beautiful and easy and malleable. And Pharaoh, mm-hmm. we just, she, I don't think she really got because she was sick for a little bit too yeah when Sarah was what seven or eight her mom died when she was like 10 or 11 I mean that's a huge part of your life to have an absent dying parent mm-hmm. yeah and you don't really know her at that point <laughs> exactly but yeah that's valid I didn't think of it from that perspective I, I don't know if it's specifically their childhood I want to know about I would love to know more about her mother yeah, and the parental dynamic. She, it's it's interesting because I'm trying to see if there's some similarities with their father and Cassian because it's hard for me to imagine knowing kind of what their father became, how him and the Archeron sister's mother came together. How would that match have happened? Because he sounds like kind of a dub, and she sounds like a very rigid person. It, it's hard for me to imagine this coupling. Their dynamic sometimes reminds me a lot. If you were to put the Archer on mother and the father into a spectrum, I feel like it would be Nesta and Thomas if she ended up with Thomas, but maybe not as vile. So you think that rapey. Nesta's mother married their dad due to some sort of arrangement? Well, yeah, because he was Almost loaded, likely. remember? Yeah. Oh. And I remember that marriage was such a, it was purchased in, what do, what do you call it, like a sales transaction. And she, mm-hmm. she married really high. I think that it really was a sales transaction for them. I mean, yeah. And he also had like a very squeaky clean job too as a merchant. He wasn't a farmer. He wasn't getting his hands dirty. I mean, probably from the pics of wherever they were from. He was probably high up there. Yeah. That's fair. And she probably didn't anyway. know about all the debt either. That's a side tangent. Anyway. Um, so go on. They're looking for the books and Nesta slides the book yeah, in. She, she swaps the book. That's what she um, said. What? Who? What? <laughs> so that's what she said. She slides it in. Slides go it on. in. And slides out. And I just made some notes about Gwen's appearance in this section. Nesta talks about how Gwen doesn't dress like the other priestesses. She keeps that stone that most of the priestesses wear on their on the top of their head in her pocket and she also sam wrote a note about how her hair seems to glow brighter when she's singing and stuff so there's something a little bit different about gwen and we're starting to see that peek through it almost sounds like a siren and then the other thing uh that i do want i do want to make sure we touch on in this chapter is one of the things that gwen talks to nesta about before she goes on her merry way is she tells her one of the things that Mer- meryl is re- researching she's working on two projects 
the book that Matthew traded out was about concepts of multiple universes. And then the second project that she's working on is about a clan of female warriors called the Valkyries that were a step above what the Illyrian warriors are now, but they died off during the Great War a couple hundred, five hundred years ago. What's interesting about the Valkyrie is unlike the Illyrians where they're a race of people, you can't you can't be born a Valkyrie. Like this is something that you need to be a willing participant of. And mm-hmm. there is a very specific training that happens with the Valkyrie. And I'm pointing this out because I think it's very significant to this book. Um, it's called Novice, Blade, and then Valkyrie. And then we know that, like you said, they were wiped out 500 years ago. And then anyone who didn't die just died of shame because they couldn't die with their brethren i guess or with their army or, or troop so there's definitely well, something really- you would call it brethren but it was actually only females correct yeah i think you could only be a female to do valkyrie i think mm-hmm. it was a band um, of women it definitely shows like a really strong sense of community and camaraderie with this group of people so it's very interesting so what i noticed is the stages of the valkyrie is the titles of the parts of this book. So it the for part one of this book is called Novice. Part two is Blade. Part three is Valkyrie. There is a part four. Foreshadowing. So foreshadowing. So foreshadowing. And you think about, I mean, Nesta's currently training like a warrior right now. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm not saying she's going to become a Valkyrie. No, I'm but not I'm saying, saying she's, she's going to become a Valkyrie, <laughs> except I'm actually saying she's most likely going to become because that's 100% gonna happen <laughs> I, I'm not falling for it Sarah J Mass. I'm not for it was I should have known it was love and I didn't believe you I'm not falling for it <laughs> you want to know what the, you guys want to know what the last part is I, I, I can't it pronounce up. it yeah it's Ataraxia I believe that sounds oh. like a place well, no, so I looked it up. It's a calmness untroubled by mental or emotional disquiet. The highest goal of an Epicurean disciple, tranquility of mind. So it's like enlightenment. Mm, pretty much. That's really interesting. We will t- we will touch back on this when we finish the book. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. So yeah, just wanted to bring that to your attention, so keep open for that. So Nessa keeps showing up to training. Which is awesome. I think all of us were a little bit on bated breath on whether she was going to continue past the one session that she promised. I knew she was going to come back. I think she's so stubborn, man. She's just like her sister. That's fair. (laughs) Once she starts something, she doesn't just like back out. But she's proud enough that if it wasn't for her, she would also dip full stop. So that's why I was pleasantly surprised by her actions. Oh, they have a really sweet moment. Which, again, we kind of touched on a little bit. We won't go too much farther down the rabbit hole of her mother. But Nesta says, I am my mother's creature. Which is such a weird phrasing. I think feeds into our perception of her mother and father and her childhood dynamic. We don't it's also interesting that she that. referred to herself as a creature. Yeah. It, it certainly leans into how Nesta views herself as a monster and how she thinks... Unworthy. Yeah, and unworthy, and how she thinks other people perceive her. But it's also why she keeps people at arm's length, because I think she feels a dangerous creature, and people are better. Well, now she really is. Yeah, but in this conversation is also when Nesta pieces together that Gwen is from that raid that happened at Sangrava, the temple 
there were multiple survivors, but she's the only one brought to the library as there a refuge. Were, it did seem like there were other survivors, but one is the only one from that temple. And, mm-hmm. they, and this is the temple they talk about in Akamath that was raided to get one of the feet of the cauldron. Because yep. when the cauldron is being put back together, it needs all three feet to be functioning. And one of them was at that temple. So Hybern yep. raided it and left nothing in its wake. So it's pretty freaking awful. And then Cassian and Reese, after this conversation, Cassian, Cassian goes to Reese and they go to the spring court to meet with Eris there before the spring court is empty. I mean, not empty, but it's no one's home, like guarding the borders and stuff. So meeting there is kind of a safe spot to an extent. So then Cassian continuing his political, his political advances that Reese has put him up to. The two of them go travel to the Spring Court, which is kind of a neutral-ish ground to meet Eris to kind of talk about a treaty and any information updates. Eris thinks that Baron is vying for the Spring Court and to gain ownership of it now that it's essentially abandoned mm-hmm. and that Tamlin is... That's exactly kind of, what we need. I know, right? More Baron. <laughs> More barren. I mean, you could say that the spring court is a little barren right now. (laughs) A little beastly with a with a little a little beast running rampant around. Eris also kind of gives this wild suggestion to kill all the mortal queens before we know anything about anything because they honestly, I'd be down with it. He is his son. He is his father's son. Right. At least when in doubt, kill them all. So that's, I think, the biggest thing we pull from this. And, you know, I am such a more fan. I, I will stand by my girls and I'm ready for the fallout of whatever's going to come to between more and Eris, the truth of what happened in that whole situation of her losing her virginity and the, the, the engagement that got ruined. But Eris says, I want it to be High Lord. And Cassian asks why. And he's like, the same reason I left Morgan untouched at the border. And he says, ask her if it's true. I think she finally knows the answer. It just like drives me crazy because I can't think of why would Moore go that far out of her way to make Eris the villain if he didn't do anything wrong? And not like wrong. I mean, I was, he was wrong to an extent, but finally on the other side of it, that I don't despise Eris the way that I did the first time I read this around. And now I'm kind of like, all right, I'm ready to fuck around and find out. Like, let's see, Eris. I will see how this shapes out for you. I agree. And it almost gives me the vibe that maybe it's something that she doesn't actually know that she's going to come to find out. Well, and, and, and kind of like a bit for her. I was going to say that's how thing. I read it. Because I think the wording of, I think she finally knows the answer, which implies that she didn't know what mm-hmm. happened to her fully. And, and she never oh, really talks about yeah. it. And we could say that she was very out of it when she was dumped there. She wasn't exactly in her right mind. So I'm curious to know if she's going to find something out at a later date. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just possible that her trauma piece a bunch of things together that just don't really match up. And the more she's thought about it or the more she's looked back into it, she realizes she's she dying. Yeah. She's probably conked out. Yeah. And, and she probably wasn't even conscious. No, and it's easy to put him at the enemy because at the end of the day, that proposal 
that engagement, impending engagement, I don't know if they were technically engaged by then, is the whole reason that her life spun out the way that it did. So it's easy to point the finger at that specific person and be like, you are the reason this happened to me, especially when you are unconscious and you are bleeding half to death. Yeah. To be able to just make that really easy accusation about that is 100% valid from her perspective at this point, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Well, I was going to say she's gallivanting and maybe she discovers more about things because she's kind of MIA in this book and that's one of my only gripes about it. But anyway, we will continue after that. Uh, Ness so- is back in the library and she has to do return a book at the at a lower level and where Bryaxis used to be yeah where Mm Bryaxis used to be when she gets down there she hears her name being called but it's not from any person it's from the pit and darkness itself and then Gwen she runs into Gwen who urges her to come back and because she can feel something kind of watching them and because Gwen knows Nesta's history to an extent she knows that that her sister and her were, were turned by the cauldron she's like look like calls to like and there's a lot of dark shit down there and if you're from a very dark place and that's from a very dark place i don't even want to know what's calling you so and she just gets her out of there she well, just saying, tells, what did they describe it as i was gonna say Nessa's almost having a ptsd moment with the cauldron because the cauldron is where life began in this world and this pit is being compared to a womb, which all life has come and would return neither good nor evil. Sounds a lot like the cauldron to me. And I have a lot of theories about this. Doesn't have to do with this book that we can talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily, you know, Gwen was there to kind of help her and coax her out of there and make sure that she got back there safely. And Gwen's like, look, this isn't cowardly. Do not go back down there again. There is something there that you should not be interacting with. Mm-hmm. Then, are we sure you know, that it's not Bryaxis? No, because we know that Bryaxis is gone. And, and Gwen can So there's something else down there There's now. something else down there. Cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Replace <laughs> one monster with another. <laughs> well, it's in the library is a refuge. It didn't say it was just a refuge for priestesses. Fair point. <laughs> well, it also said that, I know she felt bad because she was having PTSD from the cauldron, but it did say that, like Sam was saying, that it would be neither good or evil. So, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't feel like it's as scary because of that description. Yeah, but I think Nessa I, interprets it as, as scary because she has trauma with the cauldron. Well, but she also doesn't have control of her powers. She didn't necessarily... Yeah, she was fighting back against the cauldron, but it's not like she, that, that this power is what she wanted out of it. She just wanted an eye for an eye. What was happening yeah. to her. So now she's got this power. She's like, well, what do I do with it? So that's... Yeah, that's not helping the situation either. And that's probably what's feeding her fear. She does take this opportunity to do a little segue. And it's like, oh, hey, Cassie and I are doing some training. You want to join us, Gwen? And she's like, LOL, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks. I think Destin just wants a bear, like a physical barrier between her and Cassian right now. I mean, I wouldn't, but you do you, boo. (laughs) And so it's fun because like every time when Nesta and Cassian have like their training, they kind of chip away at each other's facade. They always learn just a little bit more. It's always kind of a give or take between the two of them. And this time we learn about Cass's upbringing. And I forgot yeah. how tragic it is it's of his mom bad. being raped and impregnated and then being the unwed person in their little hodunk rural town. And she was just completely 
completely isolated. So, I mean, this woman that was assaulted and knocked up has to give birth to this child by herself in the middle of winter in a tent. So heartbreaking what they do to these women. And it's also like no woman is without trauma in this series. Especially (laughs) like a Reese's mom. You look at, yeah. I mean, it's, they're just born into it. Yeah. It's awful. So yeah. So he didn't have the chance to try to save her from her fate because he was stuck being trained at, at, I'm assuming when Haven was the impression that I got. And it was before. Mm, I I got the same impression. You know, it was before Cassian was a general. Reese wasn't even high at Lord yet. I don't even think they had done the right yet, which we talk about. I think maybe in the next section, I probably got ahead of myself. But we'll talk about the Illyrian mm-hmm. training soon enough. I know we did talk about it. I mean, we section. kind of already know a good bit about it, though. So, yeah, they weren't even full-fledged Illyrians when his mother was killed. So he wouldn't have even been able to do anything if he had wanted to. This is also when we find out how old Nesta actually is. <laughs> I know. Finally confirmed. Because, yeah, we all... Yeah, that tracks, though. Them being about three sisters, six years apart. That tracks. Mm -hmm. And then, oh my gosh, it's so funny to watch Cassie, again, as they're chipping away at their facades, to watch the tension build and just them not being able to, like, be around each other. Because they just, like, everything is unsaid between them. So she's finally moved on past her uh, warm-up training, and now she's finally doing some core work. Not that core work. Actual workout core work. <laughs> Not the core work we wish it was. <laughs> Not the core work that Ness has been dreaming about. But that's when yeah, they no, get those in. books can only do so much. So then this is when Cassian and Nesta start talking about more of the Illyrian training. She's starting to ask more questions about kind of stemming from his childhood they talk about earlier so she's like well what is the blood right what does the mountain ramiel mean all that kind of stuff so it's kind of like the the initial training is kind of like a boot camp for all illyrian males and then once they hit their full power in their 20s they are sent on to the mountain ramiel which is the night court insignia with three stars about it i didn't write down the names of the three stars that's not super important. I love, I love that we finally have kind of a name to it. Mm-hmm. I know, right? We've been seeing the symbol for so long that we finally put that literally on Reese's kneecaps that we fought over. I know, right? <laughs> and I think it's really important that because I think when we think of the Night Court, we think of Valaris, and we think of or we think of the Court of Nightmares. But for the symbol of the court as a whole being something Illyrian-based, I think is really important. And then, you know, the three stars kind of signify each aspect of the night court. The court of nightmares, Valaris, and the Illyrians in that kind of representation. So anyway... Well, we also so, realize through this mountain that it has creatures of itself. Mm-hmm. creature, Its own creatures that are looming around. So at their peak of physical and power, they are sent to this mountain when all three stars are visible, which only happens once a year, all three stars are visible. And that is when the Illyrians are dropped at the summit, the bottom of the mountain found without their magic, without their wings, and they have to survive a week. So that is when a lot of clans try to go back at each other, like old blood feuds kind of form. So the goal is just to survive it. But the ultimate goal is where you end on the mountain 
determines your rank. The peak, the goal is to reach the top stone, the sacred stone at the top that will immediately transport you out of the trial and will make you the top warrior. I think they said only six people ever, three of them being the Bat Boys, have ever touched that stone. That is like this huge blood trial, blood rite that they go through every year, uh, or at least new Illyrians go through every year. And everyone was so intimidated by the Bat Boys when they came to power that they intentionally separated them as far as possible. But they, you know, beat the odds and met up together and crushed the competition, which I love for them. I loved that story. I think it was really cool. It was really invigorating listening to them starting from separate points and working their way up and finding each other. That's where I see the brotherhood. And then they touched the the stone at the same time. Whoever's left standing is considered a warrior. The Arctosian ones are the ones that just survive. Oritian are the ones that make it to the mountain but don't reach the top. And Corinthian are the ones that scale the summit and are considered the elite warriors. And that's our boys. <laughs> and that's three of the six of them are our boys. And they actually lost two of those six during the last battle, unfortunately. So there's one other Corinthian that still exists. Yes. We also find out that women generally don't do this blood right. No, they're not allowed to, I thought. I don't even think they can work up to the point where they could. Well, and that because then they would be slaughtered on the summit by all the men, which is the problem, you know, Cassian had said, he's, I would love to have a female unit and I don't think they would need to participate for me to view them as a warrior like the rest of them. But until we can get them to that level where we can get them into the blood right properly, it's just still going to be a work in progress for who knows how much longer. Well, yeah, and the last thing he needs is female Illyrian warriors going up there just to get killed and then doing the Watered. Yeah. Well, but if they don't do this, even though they're not really encouraged to anyways, uh, they're not going to be, no one's going to respect them from no exactly. and will, will. Yeah, I mean, they don't respect them now anyway. Right. So infuriating. But between hearing this side of the anti-feminist side of the Illyrians, uh, but hearing the Valkyrie story that Meryl is researching that Gwen told her about. She's like, I think I'm going to try to get the priestesses in on this training. You know, if, if this is supposed to be helping me in my mental state, I want to extend this to other people. Cass is like, well, it's a nice try. Uh, please do it. But don't get your hopes up right away. It might take a minute. Keep reaching your hand, Nesta. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. It's so cute. And we talked about it last section, which is Nesta describes her experience in the cauldron very similar to a sexual assault. And we know that she also had an incident with Thomas. We do know that there are, I mean, all those priestesses are survivors of some pretty violent crimes. And I think Nesta knowing how this is helping her have her own strength and not overcome being a victim and not not being a victim, but just overcoming her own personal hurdles. I can see how She's connecting these dots and thinking that this would be a good outlet for the priestesses. But there's also with with survivors of terrible things, they have to want to do it on their own time. Oh. To push someone when they're not ready, I mean, that can trigger trauma from the sexual assault or whatever bad things that, that happened to them. Because the whole point is for them to do that, they're taking it upon themselves to finally take power and ownership over their body again and their choices, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of these people have been stripped of. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and what Nesta's being forced to do this. <laughs> yeah, but they don't know that Nesta's a victim of stuff. 
That's fair. fair. I don't think Cassian's aware of that. And I already don't feel like Nesta should have been pushed this way anyway from the Well, start. and I agree yeah. with that. <laughs> I don't disagree with you on that. I don't like how this yep. was handled. Pharaoh, Elaine, Cassian, they don't see it, what happened to Nesta. Even with the cauldron, what they actually witnessed, they don't view that as a life-altering traumatic experience for Nesta just because Nesta's personality is very nonchalant and just naturally aggressive. So they don't really see how much that affects her. And I don't think that they know about the Thomas situation either. Right. I think them pushing her, they don't see her as a victim or a survivor in any way, shape, or form. They just see her as someone who's an alcoholic who's struggling, that they're going to rehab in the way that they want to rehab. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't think anyone knows about Thomas. I don't think Nessa shared that information with anybody. So yeah. that's oh, just- and even the stuff that they do know, the cauldron, they know what happened to her in the cauldron, and no one really has sympathy for her. I mean, yeah, they, they know that she went in, but they don't know what it felt like to be in there. Like, But they don't understand the sensation of going in there and what that feels like to change like that. Obviously, they can have their own suspicions of what that experience is like and how traumatic that experience is obviously elaine was deeply affected by it at first and now we're seeing i mean they don't treat elaine the same way and elaine has never said anything about what the cauldron felt right exactly you know what so like they have this thing called skinny privilege but it's like the elaine privilege she just naturally gets the the pass all the time and speaking of elaine She's there. She she ends up showing up at the House of Wind finally and to check in on Nesta. I want to talk about Elaine because I think she's a really interesting character, even though... <laughs> of course um, you do. Well, uh, yeah, I wonder why Sarah finds her so interesting. Well, no, it, it, I think it's funny because there's, there's that quote where, where, where Nesta's like, ooh, look who decided to become interesting all of a sudden. <laughs> it was like such a low blow. I'm not at all excusing how this whole situation was handled with Nesta and how Elaine handled it. And I don't love the fact that Elaine was not there from the beginning to check on Nesta, especially since Nesta was there for every moment of Elaine's recovery. So for Elaine not to be there during this time is a little frustrating for me. But Nessie even says there's a moment where she's talking to, uh, the last time she saw Elaine was like a month or so before she was sent up there. And she just saw her in a town square and didn't say anything. Just didn't acknowledge her or anything like that. And now she's seeing Elaine for the first time since then. And she's realizing the roles are reversed. They're in the same room where Elaine was wasting away right after the cauldron. And now it's Nesta that's going through processing her trauma. And Elaine's not super compassionate towards her. No, she's she's not. It's She's kind of standoffish. To me, it's funny coming from Elaine because Elaine, I feel, is such a doormat out of all three sisters. I expected her to be the sympathetic sister. Well, and and I know what triggered Nesta was when she's like, you don't have to be so miserable about this situation. I would have lost it too if... Yeah, I mean, coming from the bitch who literally was miserable after the cauldron and moping around the house, Mm -hmm. like, come on. My thought when it comes to Elaine is... I don't want to blame her for the situation she's been put in because if if Ness is being told and everyone's being told, oh, Elaine's the doll, Elaine's going to be the one that she's the pretty one. She's the one that's going to get us an advantageous marriage. I kind of think of her as Jane in Pride and Prejudice to an extent. She was just this sort of 
pawn. No one had any expectations for her aside from looking cute and getting married. And if that's what was presented to Elaine, even as a child, like, why would she try to be anything better than that? Like, why would she fight against that? I, I don't think Especially it's- knowing her mother, too, right. that her mother clearly put them in these little boxes. boxes. Elaine's not doing anything wrong. Right. And I think that Elaine says it perfectly in the next chapter, which is where she's like, you can't resent me for wanting to have a quiet life, but then forbid me from wanting to do something greater, something along those lines. I've been thinking about how Nesta handled Elaine's depression during Akawar and how Elaine was wasting away. And I, I'm almost, I'm imagining a wolf sort of circling its young type of thing. And I'm thinking maybe Nesta didn't handle Elaine's depression the right way. Maybe Elaine should have been tr- not treated like Nesta in the same way, but maybe someone should have just shook it's Elaine and got her to out of the house like and, and dragged her places and and just got her doing something aside from wasting away but they could no one could get close to elaine just standing nearby and she was gonna bite anybody who got too close to her but like elaine had the twins and stuff oh the shadows, Gwen and she had access to a lot of stuff but the thing about that my argument is even with nesta protecting elaine elaine was given the opportunity to heal at her own time it's and true. she did because she was given the time and was allowed to do it on her own way even though nesta was protecting protecting her who's to say that elaine couldn't have just walked out of the fucking room but she was allowed to grieve in her own process i think it's like the paper doll syndrome with elaine that they didn't want to force her because they've only ever seen her as this delicate little wallflower yeah that's my mean, after the cauldron she acted like the delicate little wallflower she completely shut down she confronts elaine she's like you got to waste away and wither and hope to die like and i'm the one and she's like well i'm not the one destroying myself and doing other things and she's like oh fucking strangers she's like these people are not the same do not have the same propriety as humans do and i wonder (laughs) i mean because feyre and elaine's depression and change is very similar nessa's is completely different from how elaine and feyre handled their trauma whereas nessa's doing it through an outlet i wonder if it's just because Nessa didn't process her trauma their way because they didn't know how to handle it. That's why they pushed her into this situation because it was so... Oh yeah, so, I mean, we talked about that before. Yeah, it was so opposite to how both Feyre and Elaine handled their trauma. Yep, and this is when we learn, which I think feeds into the whole Elaine thing, which she, she wasn't only even mourning her humanness and her relationship with Grayson, but she lost her virginity to him. That's a big deal. She was all in, ready to go, move on with her life. Dude, and that makes she, so much sense. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just the extra added trauma of the situation. It's felt on the wounds of what they've been through. Yeah, because I, I, I couldn't understand. I mean, obviously, we don't know Grayson and Elaine's relationship, so I could understand why Elaine was getting so hung up over this boy. Come on, man. He courted you, maybe you kissed a few times. No biggie. And I'm like, oh, wait. Well, yeah, that's that's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that from Elaine. So I'm, you know, a part of me is like, oh, get it, girl. Proud of you. But yeah, Nesta has been, you know, the next 
the last little bit's pretty slow for the most part. Where, you know, she's still training. She still has her moments where she has like an anxious fit and she does a couple rounds of stairs and comes back up. You know, Cass is trying to remind her because she's getting discouraged about the priestesses, that it's going to take time, that kind of like what we talked about, everyone processes their trauma and their anxieties differently. So Cassian's like, you want to know how I dealt with my trauma? I slaughtered the entire town that let my mother die. <laughs> really healthy way to deal with your trauma, Cassian. I do not regret Super it. Super healthy. <laughs> but no, when he was finally old enough and strong enough, he went ahead and slaughtered everybody who essentially not everybody but everybody who partook or was involved in the demise of his mother because she was eventually it almost sounds like she was left essentially at a labor camp mm-hmm. and she was worked to death she didn't even get a burial they threw her off a cliff like i can't imagine the just disrespect and death that that is it reminds me of i don't want to say it because i hate this movie but midsummer even though they willingly jumped off but oh i just gross yeah I know, right? The fact that she doesn't even have a headstone or somewhere that she can be visited is so mm-hmm. heart-wrenching. How devastating for and him. It's interesting how Cassian ended up the way that he is. For as strong as a warrior as he is, sometimes I, I feel like I don't recognize the brutality of Cassian because he's so witty. And then yep. to be reminded of his power, his anger if he has his mind to it is... But it's interesting with Cassian to like hear of him destroying all of this like clearly he has a heart of gold because he does this for someone he loves to kind of avenge and i don't even know what you would call it to get i guess to get revenge on what yeah. they did to his mother or so he's such a teddy bear yeah. yeah and then you see him slaughter a whole town minus the children and the females and the elderly and you are reminded of his power and destruction you're like oh yeah this is why he is the commander of the army i thought mm-hmm. what was also really significant about that moment is Nessa asked him if he regretted it, and he's like, nah. Um, which I thought that was a really special moment with them, too, because I, I feel like Nesta thinks that she is just unforgivable and a monster and a creature and all these things. So to also find someone that shares that with, well, not that she he thinks he's a monster and stuff, but... I think it helps her not feel so isolated. For sure. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, definitely, I think this is the moment where we realize they kind of are very similar where and i also love this about cassian in this moment is that it's okay to do something horrible and not feel like you need to be forgiven for anything Mm -hmm. it's just human nature at the end of the day yeah yeah you can act out on rage and it's not something that you have to grovel around and be so sorry for of doing Mm -hmm. and i feel like that kind of this conversation that they have kind of down their walls further and we get our first little little touch of spice or a little sprinkle of spice between them and every time something happens between them i'm cackling i know it's adorable i'm just like "Mm, get it girl like put them in the the high ground (laughs) they both are but (laughs) But you know what it's my favorite dynamic it's the whole brat brat tamer dynamic she's seeing how far she can push him in a bratty way and get away with and she loves watching him i don't 
want to say tormented, but getting like infuriated to he's losing his control. He's like yep. not, he can't grasp onto anything stable with his emotions because she just keeps poking and poking and teasing and testing. I love it so much. And then we, we go on to Azrael coming to request their presence for recent and Feyre at the River House. I feel like that's a little foreboding. It's weird that he has requested their presence. I feel like that's one of those situations where you're asked to go to the teacher's office. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, what did I do this time? What is this bad news that's about to happen? Mm-hmm. So they end up going to the river house and they find out that they're going to get an update from the human queens from Azrael, but there is no more Elaine around. And honestly, I'm kind of happy that Elaine's not around after the last interaction that she had with Nesta. I don't think it would be very healthy for them to see each other anytime soon. No, definitely not. So what Az has heard is that Brielle is the only one left that the rest of the mortal queens have abandoned her and she is the one directly working with Coach J and the Autumn Court Baron specifically. So what they've pieced together is that because she's the one that was punished by the cauldron and age because she was the youngest one of them. And she is trying to find the cauldron to get her age back. But Coach J is like, hey, we can't get the cauldron yet. But there are these cool little devices called the Dreadtrobes that could also help you get your power back and reverse this issue. So we learn about the Dreadtrobes. There are three of them, possibly four, and they are cauldron-made objects of great significant power. So if she can find those objects, she can then find the cauldron. So three objects are a mask, a harp, and a crown. The mask can raise the dead, a harp can open any door, and the crown can influence anyone. Kind of gives the whole Deathly Hollows vibe. Once you have all three of them, you are literally impenetrable. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, we already know that Sarah Janus is very influenced by Harry Potter. And it's so crazy. You know, the Dementor, Surreal, all that jazz. And what's really funny, we can talk about this in more depth later, but Sarah J. Mass and Lee Bardugo, who wrote Shadow and Bone, they were in the same editing group together in the early 2010s. And both authors use the whole like calls to like. So I'm reading Shadow and Bone and Lee Bardugo's like, like calls to like, like calls to like. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys need new ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Drives me crazy. That's been done before. Move on. <laughs> both of them use that theme so heavily. And I'm reading both books and they're peak right now. Even though Rialan was made from the cauldron because she was punished. She is not able to find the items the way that Nesta or Elaine can. That's a running theory. That's why she is desperate for them. She's trying to find them. Coach Jay's helping her. And that's when Nesta for the first time admits that she did take something from the cauldron to the inner circle. But again, I kind of said it earlier, she saw it as an eye for an eye. She wasn't gunning for anything specific. She just wanted Uh, to do as much damage as possible. Right. She's a fighter. Yeah. So then they piece together that Koche having the the trove could free him from the lake that he's stuck in. But I think that these items can also free some of the monsters from the prison. And I feel like Mm. that is my theory. I think not just Koche, but I I think we're going to see Lanthus. He's mentioned so many times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's that, like, um, not a theory, but it's if you see a gun in the first act of a play, you know by the second act of the play, the gun will go off. And it's oh. it's kind of like Schrodinger's cat. I can't remember what the, but it's, there's a name for it, and I cannot remember what it is. But it's a storytelling device. 
Well, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. So I that's think Lampus is that gun. <laughs> <laughs> I love. Well, yeah. Part. I mean, like, why mention it if it's not going to come up ever right, again? Right. Especially in connection to Cassian, he's had the worst run-ins with creatures and beings. He's had multiple run-ins with Fire Axis. He's had this run-in with Lampus. I feel like it's all going to come together for him at the end of the story, in my opinion. So, at the end of this meeting, they've realized two things that. As much as they want to warn the other courts, they can't because it will tip off their alliance with Eris and tip off his betrayal of Baron. And it's up to Nesta and Elaine to track down the Dredge Rope. <laughs> Make Elaine do it all. I know, well, right? Elaine does offer. She's like, I'm going to do it. And then Nesta completely shuts that down and is like, uh, I yeah. don't think so. Yeah. And Well, it's funny after that interaction that she still wants to protect Elaine. Oh, yeah. After all that. I think that Nesta doesn't know what to do with herself if she's not the protector of Elaine. I truly think that without that role, I don't think she knows what to do with herself because she would have to actually learn something about herself and she can't just be the barking dog. Well, and if you think about it, Nesta, her whole trauma response of getting drunk and going out with strangers and stuff and and keeping everyone away, I, I feel like it's her way of protecting Elaine. She's like, you can't be near me right now. I'm a monster. So I'm going to make you hate me. So that way you're safe. Yeah. She also, because they forget that she has these powers that she doesn't understand right now. Right. That she feels are just boiling up inside her. And I think she's afraid that if she does explode, the last person she wants near her is Elaine. Elaine. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Elaine calls out Nesta. She says, you can't have it both ways. You can't resent my decision to lead a small, quiet life while also refusing to let me do anything greater. Mm -hmm. Which I love. She needs that reminder. Yeah. She also calls Nesta out because... Nessa, of course, is still traumatized by the cauldron and especially when she did the bones and stones scrying and how it kidnapped Elaine. And she's like, you were kidnapped by the cauldron because we searched for it. And Elaine's like, yeah, I know. I was there. It's my trauma. You need to stop thinking about what my trauma did to you. I'm a golf clap, Elaine, for that. More, more power to you. Because I think, I think we, and Feyre admits it too. She's like, I forget as well. I think, I, I forget about how Elaine is handling her trauma versus how I'm handling Elaine's trauma. Mm, I think definitely. it's a, it's a definitely a unique and maybe toxic dynamic to these sisters' relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. Well, we're finally stirring the pot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Naturally. Naturally. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> pot. <laughs> so Nessa pushes for Pharaoh. She's like, look, you're made. You go look for the trove. And, Ugh, and then the worst thing ever happens. Pharaoh is... is pregnant. I was going to say knocked up, but yeah. <laughs> He's pregnant and lo- not allowed to use magic because it might harm the baby. So Nessa agrees. She's like, fine, if you can't do it, then I will do it because Elaine's not doing it and that's final. And then Feyre tells Nessa, it's very sweet. They have a nice tender moment where Feyre's like, look, Elaine is the one that guessed that I was pregnant first. So I want you to be the first one to know the sex and it's a boy. I was going to say just a little bit about the pregnancy. We found out that it's 10 months for Faye babies and because it's already very rare for Faye to get pregnant, which 
of course, Feyre is the one Faye that gets pregnant. Really yeah, the fast. first try. Yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. Reese literally has a bubble around her, and he's just constantly protecting her for everything. And he kind of goes into helicopter dad. So annoying. Totally. Like, it's he's almost like. Started. But it's funny because Feyre is so mellow with her personality. Reese has got all the hormones of the pregnancy. And Feyre does not. Reese is like the the hormonal (laughs) pregnant woman. Uh, But isn't his overprotectiveness, isn't this kind of part of the mating bond type thing? Isn't this like a fate trait? Well, that and I think that he also has this fear that with everything being so uncertain with the different courts and not understanding if they're going to be in another war or something's going to happen, I think he's afraid to let the other courts know that Feyre is pregnant because then she becomes a weak spot for them because then she could be kidnapped, then she be targeted mm-hmm. and all this stuff can happen and they're gonna have a whole other issue well, at foot and they also well maybe they about... should have waited to get knocked up i know but also sam it's so difficult for people to get pregnant as Faye, and so they never thought they could ever get pregnant like that fast but favorite recent have the worst timing when it comes to sex. They always do it at the worst possible time. So I'm not surprised. It's like, hey, we just want a war. We just want a war and we need to piece everything back together and we don't know what the future's gonna look like. Let's just do something. Let's have a baby. It'll solve everything. It's just like you guys are gonna live for hundreds of hundreds of years. You're like, you know what? Right after a war where the world is fragile and everything's still putting itself back together and we don't know where the chips are gonna lie. Let's just do it. Let's just go all in. Yes. These two. But they did also say, speaking of other courts potentially freaking out about this or like stealing her, they are concerned about Tamlin knowing. They're worried that his knowledge of Feyre's pregnancy will tip him over the edge. But like the crazy thing is, didn't they already kind of forgive each other and tell each other that they're ready to move on? Yeah, but he's pretty unstable, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's not even living in his house. He's living as a beast out and about, so. Be a beast. Let someone else take over. I'd rather Baron take over. Yeah. Or Eris. But we end up getting to a (laughs) point. Honestly, after Matt's official drawing of Eris, I'm so down for it. I know you are. He's forgivable, hopefully. The one ginger you could get from Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the one ginger. No other gingers. Absolutely not. Fine. fine. But we get to a point where Asriel suggests to Cassian that... Nesta tries to scry again to search for the trove because now that they know about these items, they really need to get on finding them. Since Nesta's taken the initiative to go do it, they need to go ahead and get the show on the road. And Cassian is hesitant, which is not surprising, and claims that they don't know what's left of Nesta's power after the war and blah, blah, blah. He's kind of just making up a million excuses. It's also weird that Nesta's not part of this conversation to me, because I feel like had she been there, she'd be like, yeah, let's do it right now. But I think it was more that she agreed to do it, that Cassian realized that she just needs to run it at her own course, not to push her. Because as is, I think, more nervous about the timing of it. And it wasn't that they were trying to... Oh, now they don't want to push her. I know, right? (laughs) Wow, look at them trying to respect her boundaries all of a sudden. What? Baby. Yes, I mean, it doesn't feel like the beginning of the book where they did the intervention. It was more of like, how can we support her instead of throwing her under the bus they did in the beginning of the book? That's just my opinion. But I agree. It's just funny. It's like, (laughs) wow. You don't want to push her now when you really actually need something. I just don't understand their thought process of things. 
I think they're tight on time, so they don't have time to think through how dumb their stuff is. Um, <laughs> but they're not pushing her right now, which doesn't they, make any sense because they're on a time that's crunch. That's true. And that's true. But I, but I. So you think it would be the opposite that now they'd be like, Nesta, you have to do this right now. I think they and understand how reluctant Nesta was to do this. And cry, not help with the dredge. Right, it's yeah. not that she doesn't want to help. It's the act of looking for the cauldron. They know how difficult that was. And obviously just seeing how she reacted with Elaine there and how awful she was to Elaine about all of that. I, I think they're trying to give her space and not push it right now. So that way she can at least like kind of dip her toe in and ease into it for now. But we, we do know later on that they are pushier about it. Yeah. Well, and then this conversation, speaking of babies and <laughs> pushing things out, they decide <laughs> that they want to talk. <laughs> they decide that they want to ask each other if they ever want to have kids and stuff. And Cassian's kind of saying yes. Azrael doesn't really know, but honestly, Azrael doesn't even really have a love in his life that I think he could pinpoint. Does he know that Moore is gay yet? I don't know. Anyone knows aside from Feyre, and that's kind of where his answer hinges because Mm -hmm. I think he has more in mind when talking about kids because he makes a comment like, "Well, that's not for me to decide." Because he's still just so hung up on her. Honestly, this yeah. is going to be a, a different theory, but if, we're definitely going to see a mating bond rejected, and I wonder if it's going to be as and more. You That's think, for you another think they are mates? I think they could yeah, be, and that could also him. be that could be the mating bond we see rejected, not Elaine and Lucian. But anyway, while talking about babies, Cassian, of course, starts thinking about Nesta as he's talking about having kids with somebody, and he decides that he wants to ask As to turn a blind eye so he can settle that lingering debt between him and Nesta where he pre-ejaculated and left her hanging. I mean, technically she wouldn't let him... Never mind, never mind. It's not that he left her hanging on purpose. She was like, bye. Well, she left him hanging. Yeah. I guess technically she left him hanging. She finished and then was like, you hang there. I'm like, just leave. <laughs> but the good news is now they are even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was hot. I thought it was interesting mm-hmm. that they were like, this is just sex. We're just hooking up just to get some stuff off of our chest. And it was very transactional, I think. Yeah. Obviously, like, it was it was hot. I liked it. I mean, no, no, it was a hot scene. Like, I, don't get me wrong, it's spicy, but I just... I like it because it's not your, like, traditional, like, tell me you love me, whatever. Like, I feel like this relationship and how they're having sex is how people in the modern day actually have sex. Right. It, it, mm-hmm. it did feel very relatable, and, and I agree, modern, their transaction. Yeah. They're ahead of their time. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, you know, Cassian leaves that interaction. He's like, we're even now. <laughs> and... The next day, he can't stop thinking about Nesta. So him and Az, they decide, like, he's like, I have got to, like, <laughs> he can't look at her in the training ring without thinking about this. What a bro thing. Oh, he's such gosh. a so bro. he's like, let's just fight. We have to get out the sexual tension. tension. I'm just going to fight my best friend so I don't have to think about this. which you know as being smart and a a total bro looks like he's gonna go for nesta for like a second he kind of fakes cassian out and then he punches him straight in the face it was (laughs) it was just like i know your weak spot (laughs) 
<laughs> it was very cute. And it, you know, and then of course, I think Cassie's just like, time out. This is it. I, I, I have to train. I have to train Nesta now. Okay, stop beating me up. So they get back to training. Nesta goes to the library. She talks to Gwen about the dread trove, even though she took a vow of silence with everybody about it. She's like, fuck it. I don't give a shit about what Reesan says. I need help because I ain't scrying. So she goes to Gwen for help with the dead trove just because she, I mean, this is a huge library. There's got to be something in it about these items. So Gwen agrees to help and, and do some secret looking around for her. And um, I just put in a note in there as she's talking to Gwen, she's thinking about Asriel and Cassian and thinking about having threesomes and stuff. And it's <laughs> Oh you know, that chapter exists allegedly. Oh my god. It's written it's Drop it, Sarah J. Mass. She no, wrote allegedly she wrote a chapter. Yes. But oh my god, I have to read it. Chapter. Uh, I don't know. It's a real chapter that they didn't put in the book. Maybe this is Asriel cashing in. He's like, af- after Cassie and fuck more, he's like, do one of these days, I'm going to call in for a favor. <laughs> Like 400 years later, time to pay, bro. Like, (laughs) so no, that that whole scene that Ness is describing, it made me stop in my tracks just reading that. I was like, oh my god, that's that. What happened? Well, do we find out she's? It wouldn't be the first time that she had a threesome. Two threesome, girl. Two threesome. She's been the the lady sandwich in the lady. Why choose? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. She's and been Eiffel. T- the best of both worlds. She's been Eiffel Tower. So- Nest has gone to Paris. Yeah, go, go Nest. Hey, she's traveling the world. <laughs> she's always wanted to do that. <laughs> Before Gwen leaves to go investigate the whole dread trove thing, she's like, "Hey, you should come up to the training." And Gwen. It's like, nah, I'm not a warrior. And she's like, you don't have to be. She's like, I know, but I don't really want to. And it's, you know, she's like, is it Cassie? She's like, Cassie is a good dude. She's like, I know he's a good dude, but I don't really want to. And she's still scared about it. She still doesn't feel safe enough to do that. And so Nessa, you know, she's kind of mulling over the conversation because she doesn't really like how it left. And she's thinking about, oh, you know, Gwen was most likely assaulted, leaving the the temple and trying to like work through the conversation in her mind. And that's when she gets epiphany when she's doing the steps. Yeah. Too. And she gets to step 2000. I think Sam, you had said in the, like a chapter two before she got to a thousand kind of cool to see her process of how we're yeah. as she's like mentally healing in, in many ways. And as she's going through this process, she's getting farther and farther and farther to the bottom. This whole going down the steps is such a great example of writing for Sarah J. Mack because instead of saying how much she's changed we're seeing how Ness is improving by going through the phases of getting down these steps so it was first like a hundred now two hundred now a thousand now two thousand so we're seeing her growth through how far she can go it's just a really remarkable storytelling tool and I really like it well it's cool to see her actually determined and working towards something yeah that is completely of her own free will yeah that she hasn't been pushed to do she's decided to do this mm-hmm. Sam you had said it a while ago uh, you were talking about like, how you did a Nesta and you were having a difficult day and, and you just went for a walk and just to clear mm-hmm. your mind and work through things and it's yep. uh, but physical health and mental health are one and the same at this point I think that that's what our society doesn't hone in on, that you don't need to be fit to be healthy, that 
that's it's just a construct of capitalism and society and bullshit. Right. They also, but they call it like thoughtful movement. Right. I think Ooh. is the terminology for when you do mindful movement that is good for your head, that helps you process stuff because your blood is flowing, but there's an intention behind it. And it's not superficial. It's not about being healthy or quote unquote, whatever that is and what your body is. It's about allowing your body to physically have blood flowing more so that you can concentrate on what's going on in your head with breathing mm-hmm. and yeah. movement. But they either call it like thoughtful movement or mindful movement. Love it. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. I love this section so much when Clotho, she goes, she comes to Cassian and she's like, um, Cassian, can you please come to the library and Nesta really needs to stop training in the library because she's throwing all these punches and stuff and it's scaring off all the priestesses. <laughs> It's so cute. <laughs> and now I'm imagining like a little Mulan type like montage of her like. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Where she's doing the, it reminds me of like doing the dishes and like doing a like karate chop or whatever. Yeah. Like, like all down, but she's so into it. But it's exciting because you're finally seeing her get excited about something. And mm-hmm. she's actually starting to have a personality that is not just self-loathing. Mm-hmm. It's really endearing. Yeah. I don't know. I loved that scene. I think that's one of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. But it shows how smart she is, too, because Cassian goes down to, I guess, reprimand her or whatever, and she's doing the punches and she's not doing them correctly. So, he's, so instead of <laughs> instead of telling her to stop, he's like, no, 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 no. First fix your form and then stop doing this all together. <laughs> Pretty much. And she's a genius. She's genius, such a genius. But it was genius. It was intentional. She she because she knows how to punch. Like and he's like, "You did that perfectly yeah. this morning." She's like, "Yeah." I she did. wanted to show the priestesses how Cassian teaches. <laughs> it's brilliant. I thought yeah. that was so I loved it. Like the thought and care that went into her doing that, knowing that Cassian was watching and all the priestesses were watching. I think that's the most selfless thing Nesta's ever done. What's so great about this whole scene and this whole interaction is it truly is a foil of Cassian trying to get Nesta to train. And now this Mm -hmm. is Nesta Mm -hmm. trying to get these priestesses to train. So she's, she's kind of fighting herself in many ways. She's kind of trying to figure out how to get herself to do this is, is, I think it's just so remarkable about, I'm trying to say like, this is Cassie and seeing that Nesta is going through kind of what he went through with getting her into training. Well, and it's almost like him watching her, he's starting to develop this pride in what she's doing. Right. Where like, there's almost an admiration now of how Nesta is operating for other people. And she's kind of coming into her own. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is the Feyre Resand moment where Feyre is going to battle for the city, her own free will, and is doing these things. And Reese is watching and is so overcome with pride and appreciation for her. And I think this is Cassian's moment with Nesta. And like I said, the best part is that it worked. And that we got our first sign up, didn't we? We got Gwen! I know! It was so exciting. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, when I read this section, I was like cheering. I was so happy. I was like, yes, was let's pretty, go. I was pretty excited. I was actually, I thought there was gonna be a couple more people. I was sad that it was 
just Gwen, but I was also very happy that it was Gwen. Uh, beggars can't be choosers. No, no, hey, she got to somebody. She got to, hey, one's one's a start, and it, it only takes one. I mean, just for the other priestesses to know that one of their sisters or acolytes is there, and she's coming back safe from these trainings, she's coming back energized. Just mm-hmm. see that one person do it is going to be such a huge, significant change in their whole demeanor, well, their whole mentality around it. And now Nesta has another friend who's not Amarin. She has a, a new friend, finally. Yeah. They had a rocky start, but I'm she here needed. for it. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, like, but I think that that's what made them great. I like yeah. Gwen, because she's blunt. Like, she's very direct. Not the same way Amarin is, where it's mm-hmm. kind of mean. <laughs> well, she she puts the shit back in Nesta's face. Yeah. She's like, yeah, but without kind of like the sinister malice yeah. behind it. It's very much just, this is my person I'm just like you, brash. Mm-hmm. Deal with mm-hmm. it. Like, this is who we are. She's not threatened by Nesta, which I think is also important too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're equals. Mm-hmm. And that wraps up that wraps up this part. It does. So our next section is going to be the start of part two, which is going to be chapters 25, and we're going to stop at chapter 37. Section four is going to be like 200 pages. So buckle up, Sarah. Oh my gosh, I'm not ready. <laughs> Not ready at all. Yes, you are. Climb the mountain. Climb the mountain. Girl, you once you get into the spice of it all, you're gonna fly through this book. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, the sex scenes in this book. Chef's kiss. I mean, so far they've been pretty good. I mean, we have you haven't even like you know gone all the way, but they've been yeah. I'm, I'm, we've, I'm, hey, we've just pre-ejaculated. That's yeah, it. That great. We haven't even gotten further. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite line. There's the uh, Cassie has the best line in the next section. I cannot. Is it the P? I know what it is. Why? I don't know what it is. Oh no, no, not that one, Hannah. That's later. That's later. Oh, I was like, that acronym. <laughs> I, when he said P, I was like, nope, that's not it. I know what you said. That one's oh, that no. good. He, he's, showing, he, he, he's showing gratitude for transportation, right? <laughs> you read that one? I read I'm no, I, I heard that from you, Sam. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's fucking hilarious. All right. Well, you guys are going to have to tune in to hear more about that in the next episode. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at confessionstand underscore podcast for any show updates. Feel free to give us a follow on our Goodreads, too, to see what we're currently up to. That link is in our bio. Bye. 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 Bye.